Welcome to Believe in Baltimore, a podcast conversation with community leaders and changemakers in Baltimore, Maryland, hosted by Govins Presbyterian Church. We're your hosts, Reverend Billy Klutz, Associate Pastor here at Govins Presbyterian Church. And Reverend Tom Harris, Senior Pastor. And we believe in Baltimore. Welcome back to Believe in Baltimore. Today we are thrilled to welcome Nikki Lerner to the podcast. Nikki is the self-described culture coach, and that's the name of her podcast, The Culture Coach. But she's a consultant, a speaker, an author, an artist, and so much more. Her passion is to help people from move from monoculture to multiculture in their work and in their life. She grew up in the Towson area and now lives in Columbia, and we are so glad that you are here. Welcome, Nikki. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be with you and all of your listeners today. Yeah, welcome. We're, we're really excited about this conversation. And one of the things I'm excited about is just, oh my goodness, going to your website, just looking at all the things that you're doing. And I'm wondering, these these intersections of teaching, of coaching, and, and music, how does all that work kind of come together for you? What What's the, really the confluence for, for all these expertise that you bring? That's such an interesting question, uh, because I feel like it's really been really in this last year that I have found a way to to really integrate all of those things uh, around my mission as a person. Uh, and so I find that in my work, even as a culture coach, that it connects to who I am as a creative person or who I am as, as a musician. Um, you know, even recently, I've been able to share some music with some of the clients that I work with, which is really kind of weird and very random, you know, they're like, well, we know that, you know, you work with us, but we're having an event. Can we, you know, book your band? Hmm. Sure. You know, hmm. uh, so just trying to, to integrate all of these different pieces of how I've been made and wired uh, into this one mission, which is to help uh, really to help people live a bit more beautifully and, and more generous, more connected to virtue. Uh, particularly cross-culturally, but just in, in life in general. Mm -hmm. I love I love that bringing kind of your whole story and all of your gifting to that kind of multifaceted work as well. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at your, your website uh, and your story and maybe I'm reading between the lines too much, but my sense was that you were at some point in a, in a corporation, in, a, in, in the corporate world, and that you were able to then at some point move out on your own and really bring all the things that are you together. Is that reading too much into what <laughs> your life story is? No, f funny <laughs> enough, uh, I'm more in the corporate world now than I've ever been. Okay. Uh, right. So for about uh, about 20 years or so, uh, I was in pastoral ministry. Ah. Uh, I was a worship pastor at my church, uh, Bridgeway Community Church for about 20 years or so. Uh, big thriving uh, multicultural church there. And uh, it's been about three years now uh, that I have been a full-time culture coach out on my own. And I joke with people sometimes uh, because you guys know in church life, it's not always this way. I'm like, don't worry, there was no scandal. Nothing happened, nothing <laughs> awful happened. Uh, the Lord, I literally, I heard the Lord say, it is time to do something else. Mm -hmm. And it was weird because I was like, 
what are you talking about? Everything's great right now. Like, why in the world would I, you know, transition and do something else? Uh, but I just knew, I knew that all the things that I had been learning uh, for so long in an intentionally diverse place. And, and, uh, and I had been coaching even while I was in pastoral ministry uh, before then, but everything I had been learning that it was gonna be necessary at some point to help uh, not only communities of faith, but people in the business world, people in organizational world, as they were starting to wake up uh, to some of these realities uh, and some of the vision behind cross-cultural work. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and it's it's so needed right now in this yeah. in in our world. It, so there's the need for that for multiculturalism to move from monoculture to multiculture. Um, what do they say that our calling is when our the world's greatest needs and our greatest passion meet? Uh, so what is it about what is it about multiculturalism that makes you so passionate? Ooh, that is multi-layered. Um, first of all, I just love people. I mean, seriously, I I do. I mean, I don't know. Call me idealistic or whatever you want to call it, but I love people. I, I'm highly relational. Um, I love it when. Uh, people are involved in some sort of a great change or becoming the best versions of themselves. I love that. And uh, I think in, in culture work, uh, I like to tell people that, you know, I grew up in a tri-cultural family, although we were all black American people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for many, many people, that's mm-hmm. a new concept to think about, right? But the, you know, every people group is very diverse in itself, but you know, I had sort of three different sides of my family, uh, my family tree. My my parents uh, were married. I'm their only child. My father died when I was one. His side of the family comes from country, uh, rural Gloucester, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, like their house is literally in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's that. My mom's side of the family was where all the diversity was. Uh, and and even the mindset of diversity. And then uh, when my mom remarried uh, my stepfather when I was about three, his family was from inner city, Southwest Baltimore. And so those three cultures did not understand each other. Uh, and so between that, I think probably uh, some of the, my origin stories of losing my dad early, not knowing him and then losing my mom about 20 years ago, always carrying around this this question about where do I belong? Uh, I started to see that, particularly in in cross-cultural work that, you know, what if if the way that I exist in the world or or people connected to me exist in the world actually created more room for as many different kinds of people as possible to Mm. feel like they just belong somewhere. And so that's a lot of, I think a lot of where my origin stories are connected to and why this work matters so much to me. Wow, that's beautiful. So as a, uh, as somebody who had experienced the, the tension of multiple cultures, you've taken that experience and turned it into a, a service to others that you can now provide. That's beautiful. Thank you. 
Yeah, I love that. Just hearing some of your story, Nick, it reminds me so much of Gloria Anzaldua's writing about how her own story is this place of, of meeting and how that's an opportunity and a gift that that borderland space, that mestiza space is, a, is an opportunity. Um, and we know that part of your story is Baltimore. And so as a community-based podcast, we always ask folks, what do they love about the Baltimore area? What's the hidden gems? And why do you believe in Baltimore? Mm. Well, I mean, it's it's all it's all connected, right? It's all connected in my story. One of the things I love about the area where we all live is its diversity. I mean, I, you know, I, even though I don't live in in, you know, technically in Baltimore anyway, I'm 20 minutes from Baltimore. But, but even though I don't live in Baltimore, the fact that like, you know, when you live in this area, you can't go out your door and not see different kinds of people. Like, I love that about uh, our city. I love that about the area we live. I love it. I love that uh, for anybody anywhere in the Baltimore area, that there is literally no lack of opportunity every single moment to connect with somebody that is not like you or is not from your people group. You know, somebody that has a different come from, a different cultural expression, a different uh, religious background, a different uh, whatever. I like, it's mm. like it's like a buffet to me of <laughs> of mm. curiosity, you know, mm -hmm. and and things we get to learn. And if anything, I think that is what I appreciate about where we live. Uh, so much is, you know, we could never have the story of like, well, you know, we just don't have proximity to anybody. Yeah. Like we have, <laughs> I mean, we have proximity to everybody, right? In, in Baltimore and where we live. And that's probably one of my favorite things mm -hmm. about living in this area. Amen. Such a such a wealth there. And talking about all those different stories here at Govins, we really like to say that we ground our work in stories, that the diversity of stories around us, right? It's never just a single story. Um, and so part of that work that we're doing on this podcast is to engage those stories of our neighbors and to hold them in conversation with some of the stories of our religious tradition as Christians. Not because that's everybody's story, not because as Christians, we even like all of our stories, um, but because we think that the stories matter and we want to be relationally focused and use that as a jumping off point. And so Pastor Tom has our story from the Bible for us today, and we're excited, uh, Nikki, to bring your wisdom as both a pastor and a culture coach, as a musician and everything else uh, to this story. Pastor Tom. All right. So it's a short one, but packed full of uh, content. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. I'm sure you've heard this before, Nikki. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Oh, I have so many thoughts. Um, let me work backwards. So I love that Jesus says, doesn't just give him information. Mm. That Jesus gives says to the man, do it. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, yeah. go do it. Mm -hmm. 
And it's amazing to me how many stories of interactions with Jesus happen where people are like, tell me how to do this thing, Jesus. And he's like, here's how you do it. And they're like, oh no, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's sometimes that's my life as a culture coach, right? It's like, they're like, tell us how to be more diverse, you know, tell us what we should do. And I'm like, well, the first thing you need to do is just go have some conversation this week with somebody that's not part of your people group. They're like, oh, we can't do that. You know, it's like, that's what it made me think of is, is, you know, there, that, that Jesus always gives us the insight and then he also gives us the practice. And usually the things that are keeping us, I was reflecting on this today, the things that are keeping us from the things we want to see in our life, or even in, in my, my realm, the, the diversity efforts we long to see is taking action and a sense of urgency. Right. Um, and I think that's just for us as humans, right? No matter what it is we want to change. Uh, it's just doing it. Like trust, trust that God is going before us and just do it. One of my favorite quotes comes from a woman and she says, uh, clarity comes through engagement, not thought. And that's essentially what's happening here, right? In the scriptures. The lawyer the Lord is really trying to trap Jesus, right? And I think the lawyer is really, he wants a different response. I don't think he expected this one because uh, he wanted to be able to check it off, right? T just tell me what to do. But he thought he'd get a different answer. Sometimes we always have to check our intention uh, behind what it is we're asking uh, God, God to do in our, our lives. What is the intention behind that question? And are we really ready for the answer? Because once we know, we can't unknow Right. Once that lawyer heard what it was, what he was supposed to do, it's not like he could be like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, no, you know now, you know, so. <laughs> I'd like so to return to my ignorance, please. Exactly. Yeah. So anything, anything after that is disobedience. And that's not something I make up. That's what the scriptures say, right? The scriptures say that anyone who knows what they should do and doesn't do it sins. I mean, I didn't make it up. Like it's right there. So I think, uh, you know, sometimes we just get in our head about so much and we overthink so much. We overthink things to death <laughs> when, it, even when it comes with just relating with one another. And I think we would find a lot more clarity if we just started moving towards it. Uh, without this need for control or perfectionism, you know, all these things that are very American, by the way, uh, very American culture, right? But if we just started doing it, just started moving towards it to see some change. Amen. Let's make the road by walking. Um, and and kind of in that same way, I have not been a coach, but I've benefited from from being coached. And one of the things that stands out to me is just how many questions coaches ask. And I've seen this passage referred to as kind of like Jesus taking on the, the role of coach. And so I'm wondering, what do you think about that? And then also, how do you define coaching? What, what's the helpful image metaphor there that we should be thinking about? Yeah, well, yes, to your your question about, you know, the, the Jesus way of engaging. Uh, very much so. Quest questions bring life. Uh, you know, one of the things that I tell people in my culture coaching all the time is, is, you know, ask more questions, make less statements. That will save you every time uh, when you're trying to engage cross-culturally. Uh, you know, if that was me in that moment with a lawyer, 
my first question with with him probably would have been, um, so if I tell you this answer, how is this going to benefit you? That would usually be my question uh, to the lawyer, right? So <laughs> questions are what open all of us up, both for learning as well as inquiry. Um, so I love questions. Um, coaching. What I love about coaching, I think, I think actually my coach, my coach, his name is Scott, um, and he's fantastic. I'm pretty sure I got this from him. But he said, here's the difference between coaching and therapy. <laughs> um, therapy deals with the past. Coaching uh, helps you step into the future uh, and create what's new. And that's what I love about coaching. Um, I love that I get to work with people who say, here's the change I want to see in my life or in my organization or in my business. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to say, great, I can help you get there. Right. I can help you get there. Um, so I, I love coaching. I love, uh, in culture coaching, I th actually think what's missing is the ability for people to process and learn about different cultures and know what they don't know mm -hmm. without fear yeah. of judgment, without fear of labeling, uh, without fear of a whole conversation staying issue to issue. Um, I was just telling a potential client this morning, I don't deal in issue to issue. I deal in human to human. Right, because there's always going to be another issue. I mean, as long as we're alive, there's going to be another issue to argue about, mm -hmm. uh, or there will be another issue where where people in the room don't see it the same. That's okay, and uh, we need to work human to human. So with coaching, I love being the on ramp. I love being the on ramp for people to explore, uh, to experiment on issues of culture without the fear of being labeled. Because mm -hmm. we all need that. That's where the term culture coach comes from. Uh, some colleagues of, of mine and myself, we used to sit around a few years ago and say, man, wouldn't it be great if everybody had a culture coach? You know, if everybody had like somebody that they could call in another culture, if, if something came up and they didn't know what to do or they didn't understand something, that they could just call somebody, know they wouldn't be labeled or, or named something and just say, can you help me understand this? Mm. Help me get better. And that's really where, where it came from. Um, and I've done that. I have a couple of people in my world that I feel like are culture coaches, that they're part of communities I'm not a part of necessarily. You know, I have friends, but I didn't come out of that community. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's beautiful work. Yeah, I think that's what another point of connection I think is really important here it, between your work and, and this Jesus story as well is that it's not just questions in, in the general abstract sense, which are fine, like hypothetically we're all fine with. It's very specific questions. I, I'm wondering, especially in the work you're doing across difference and, and change, like how, how do you help people stay open to those, ask those really tough questions around identity and race and color and privilege and power? <laughs> Well, it varies every time <laughs> because everybody's experience in this area is so different. Uh, yeah. and what they bring to a conversation is so unique. But my goal really is to tap into who they are as people uh, 
try to find the ways that their life up until this point has actually set them up for this moment um, and try to pull from there. Um, you, you know, it's a mix of um, challenging previously, previously held beliefs uh, about the world and about people. I can't tell you how many times a day I, I say the phrase, do you know that to be true? You know, <laughs> like wh where's your proof of that, mm. right? Or if, uh, you know, how many times a day I say, is it possible <laughs> that that's not true? Yeah. Right? Uh, that's my job. My job is to come in and provoke your thinking, not to anger your thinking necessarily, but to provoke it and to challenge your own come from hmm. culturally based on what how how you think the world and people from different cultures operate particularly if you haven't had any proximity to people other than you know people like you hmm. so it's usually a gentle prodding i have a friend of mine who who says um he he describes me this way he says he says you know you're very disarming uh, he says, you come in and, you know, we'll be talking about something and then you might tell a joke and then you say something to me and it's like, you just punch me in the gut and I'm laughing. <laughs> I don't, okay. Uh, That's a gift. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, you use everything, right? You use humor, you use connection, you use uh, uh, provocation, you, you use ev every way that God has created us, you use it because the main goal is more understanding, uh, more contact and connection to virtue, the fruits of the spirit uh, in this work, um, and just help people move forward one step at a time. Let's get into a specific example, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, uh, our church, Govins Presbyterian, is, is right in the middle of this kind of work right now. We're a church that's right on the racial and socioeconomic dividing line of Baltimore City, York Road, or a church that's historically white and has is sort of known as a white space. Uh, and we are wanting to become an anti-racist church. We're wanting to become a church that reflects the diversity of our community, because if we're right here in the middle of Baltimore City, in a diverse community, it seems like we shouldn't be a mostly white church. There are some obstacles and blocks that are happening within us that are keeping uh, all kinds of people out that are not white. Um, we've hired in the past year, in January 1st, we hired Leah Gilmore as our Minister of Racial Justice and Multicultural Engagement. She's doing wonderful work um, with us, and we're doing a lot of uh, book studies and engagement with speakers and learning. Um, she's very uh, intent on telling us this isn't going to be a quick and easy change. There's a lot of work to do. So as you look at sort of that description of where we are um, and your work as a multicultural um, coach, what are, what are some of the things you might uh, encourage us to do going forward? Mm. Well, first I would ask you, who do you want to be? Who, mm -hmm. who are you becoming mm -hmm. as a church? And do you have a clear vision of that? Um, you know, can, can you articulate it and can you articulate it every single day to everybody that you meet? Mm -hmm. uh, are, are, do you embody it and live it, live it that much? Um, and then uh, try to figure out how, so how do you know when you get there? Mm 
how are you met how do you get to measure that mm -hmm. um is it you know the number of studies you do every year is it the number of things you do in the community every year is it uh you know when our church has no cultural majority we we know that we're winning uh mm. what is it yeah. and then help you move towards those things mm -hmm. how to get those things usually i will tell you this usually um, some of the, the biggest struggle that churches, uh, not churches, leaders, <laughs> leaders have is uh, their language around the work. Mm. You know, um, there's a on my, one of my podcast episodes a couple of months ago. I said, it, it, I think it was called, uh, what if it didn't take a long time? Mm. Right. Because usually mm -hmm. uh, clients I work with, they'll say, we know this is going to take a really <laughs> long time. Mm hmm. My response usually is, well, yes, particularly if you keep saying uh, it's going to mm -hmm. take a really long time. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. When's the end date? When is a really yeah. long time? Like, how do you know when mm -hmm. you're there? Right. Mm -hmm. But even just that language. So what, what's, what's actually probably more true, a more honest statement is we know that this work doesn't have to take a long time. Mm -hmm. What's going to take a long time is us changing. That's actually what's going to take a long time. It doesn't have to take a long time to build a multicultural church, mm. right? You just need a little urgency and some action, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So yeah. that that's usually where I would start. I always start mm. with trying to figure out, you know, what does a, a community want to become? Mm -hmm. And then what makes the most sense ways to get there? And how does its leaders have to change? Because you can't, you can't have operated as a monocultural church for all this time, right? And then just take principles from a monocultural setting and just pick them up and put them now in this new multicultural vision, right? Mm -hmm. But if that's all you've known for so long, uh, it takes time to develop a new practice. That's really what takes the time, is to yeah. develop a new practice. Yeah, I, I think that's that's right about where, where we are now as we, there's certainly the vision. And I would say the vision, you know, if we were a church in the middle of a 100% white suburb or something like that, I wouldn't say we have to be multicultural. Really? To be a, let me, to, let me but, challenge you for a minute. Why wouldn't you okay. say that? I, I tend to think of churches as being community spaces, geographically located community spaces. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't always have to be. There can be regional churches that draw regional folks. Um, but particularly in a segregated Baltimore city, um, I think we as a church need to be very, very critical of ourselves if we are um, a segregated and white church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Usually the question I get when I work within faith communities is, hey, we're in the middle of a cornfield in Idaho. You know, mm -hmm. surely our church doesn't have to be diverse, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, going back to the coaching style of Jesus, mm -hmm. my first question would be, well, let me ask you this. Can you describe for me the, our only visual representation of the saints gathering for worship in the New Testament? For me. Acts 2. And Revelation 7. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, there there is no admonishment mm -hmm. for for us here in in the 21st century to be segregated along racial lines. Mm 
There's no mm -hmm. model for that in scripture. Mm -hmm. And so the, a better question is, how, how might we build an argument that goes against what we see in scripture to maintain separateness in our churches? Because it seems like to me that if that's not the model, the model we've been given is actually a multicultural model. So that's the model. And that shows up in uh, the disciples' prayer with Jesus, right? Teach us how to pray on earth as it is in heaven, right? And it shows up in Jesus' prayer in John 17 about the believers being one. Seems like to me that what we should be fighting for is how do we stay diverse as the saints uh, instead of choosing to be separate based on mm -hmm. our preferences. Yeah. And because of technology, mm -hmm. there are literally no walls anymore to church. Right. Yeah. So, sure, you live out in the middle of Idaho in a cornfield, mm -hmm. but, you know, I'm right here in Maryland. You could Zoom me in to preach a message. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, now mm -hmm. we have a more diverse space. So, and, and this is the thing, guys, this is what I love about this work. There are literally no, no boundaries. There's some obstacles. But there's no boundaries, there's no rules for any church anywhere to be a place that is a safe, beautiful place for as many different kinds of people as possible and that mirrors Revelation 7 and Acts 2 better than we currently have been up until this point. Beautiful vision. I love it. Yeah. I love the way you ground it in Scripture, too. Yeah. Well, and let me tell you this. Let me just, just say this one thing. I know we have to end soon, but so... <laughs> when my husband and I uh, were trying to find a church to go to uh, when we were engaged to be married. This was in 1998, Ooh, 1998. Um, we couldn't find a church. We couldn't find a church where we could go where people wouldn't stare at us because we're interracial. My husband's white American. And we're really tall, by the way. We're both like six feet tall, right? Uh, so, I mean, we stick out anyway. But, you know, we couldn't find a church where one of us didn't have to kind of check who they were at the door culturally. You know, we were a little, a little too ethnic for some of the white churches. We were not black enough for the black churches. You know, I was always going to be Nikki with the white husband. Uh, you know, we couldn't go to the Asian American church because we really stuck out and we couldn't go to the Hispanic church because we didn't speak the language. Mm. So where do we go to church? Right? I mean, that's a mm. very real reason to create a church environment that has as many different kinds of people as possible because the world is looking more and more like us uh, and my family. Uh, and so we really have to think about that if we want the church to thrive and grow uh, into the future. Amen. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing part of your story and for helping coach us in that Jesus way. We, we really appreciate it. Um, as we're finishing up, do you have any final thoughts, things we should have asked you about, uh, questions that are, are lingering for you? No, I think I would, I would just say to you, both of you, and also those that would listen, is uh, we need you. We need you to keep the vision and that flame high of creating multicultural churches. Um, I believe it is the will of God 
Uh, and therefore we can always know that it's a yes from him. We don't have to pray about it. Uh, and so I would just say that we need you. You are needed. It's hard work and we need you. Uh, mm -hmm. The future of the Christian church needs you uh, to fan the flame of this vision. So that's what I would say. Amen. It, almost every week, like open worship with you are needed, you are wanted, you are vital. Thank you for for helping share those affirmations. Thank you, Nikki. Um, if people want to learn more about you or get involved in the work you're doing, where should they reach out? NikkiLearner.com is the best place uh, to find everything I'm up to. And again, easy. You can connect with me on my podcast, the Culture Coach Podcast, everywhere you get podcasts. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks. Make sure to check out Nikki. And, and again, thank you so much for, for being on Believe in Baltimore. Thanks again to Nikki Lerner for sharing her wisdom and expertise with us. Make sure to check out all of her links and information in the show notes. That's just below the show on your tablet, on your phone, on your computer. Likewise, stay connected to all the great things happening here at Govins Presbyterian Church by visiting our website, govinspres.org, or following us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, or on YouTube. And now as you go from here, may you see beauty every time you open your eyes and hear truth every time you listen. May you breathe every breath as a blessing and walk humbly upon the earth. And may you live in love for others, for yourself, and for your enemies. And so may you live in the presence of God.